Are you ready to start your new online venture or creative endeavor? Make it happen with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build an online presence and follow your dream. But more on that at the end of the video. During the first half of the 11th century, Southern Italy was a tinderbox just waiting to go off. In the peninsula itself, no less than three independent Lombard statelets vied for power with their Byzantine Eastern Roman neighbours. Leftovers from the days of Justinian, these Latin-speaking descendants of Germanic invaders had their own unique Germanic laws and increasingly looked to the Pope in Rome for guidance, often enticing the neighbouring Lombard imperial subjects of the Byzantines into rebellion. The first state to arise had been Benevento, which eventually splintered into two states when Salerno seized its independence through fire and blood in the 9th century. Next was Capua, which became independent once more towards the end of the millennium. Just to the north, the papacy in Rome ever attempted to mediate in matters, whilst fighting its own battles against the ever-present German kingdom to the north, yet another continent-spanning superpower seeking to further its own ends in the region. Finally, to the south in Sicily, an independent Islamic emirate had thrived for more than a century after seizing the island from Roman rule. Now, they too sought to extend their own power into the mainland. It was into this political maelstrom of vying factions and ambitious strongmen that in 1009, Milus, a Lombard nobleman from the Apulian town of Bari, then the capital of the Byzantine territories of southern Italy, rose up in open revolt against his overlords in an attempt to throw off Constantinople's imperial yoke and lead his countrymen to freedom. Though the Lombards had been allowed a certain degree of autonomy within the empire, the cultural divide between them and their Greek-speaking neighbours was simply too much at times. The Byzantines looked to the Patriarch in Constantinople for religious guidance, whereas the Lombards looked to the Pope in Rome. It didn't take long for Bari, the provincial capital, to fall. Truth be told, the imperial administrators of the empire were few and far between, and besides, Italy had been a secure region for as long as anyone could remember. The rebellion came as a complete surprise. After Bari, men from all over the region flocked to Milus's cause. The rebels took Ascoli and Troia the next year, whilst continuing to swell their numbers with more and more disaffected Lombards seeking their independence from the empire. Behind the scenes, another group of power brokers were likely involved too. The independent Lombard princes of Salerno, Capua and Benevento, who sought to undermine imperial rule on their borders, in order 
to extend their own power. They were all too happy to allow another to take the brunt of any potential backlash, whilst enjoying the benefits if he was to succeed. Such had it been for the Lombards for centuries. Originally a Germanic tribe from beyond the Rhine, the Lombards had arrived into Western Europe later than the more famous Goths, Vandals and Huns during the fall of the Western Roman Empire. In the mid-6th century, a hundred years after their service in the armies of Attila, the Lombards, then known as Longbeards, had been utilised by the Eastern Romans under Justinian to wrest back control of Italy from the Ostrogothic Kingdom which had taken hold there. In reality, a much more Romanised group than the Lombards. The Eastern Romans, perhaps operating out of spite or sheer naivety, didn't realise just what they had unleashed. Soon enough, the Lombards, under their ruler Alboin, a pagan warlord partial to taking skull cups of his enemies, after raising much of the peninsula and thus completing the desolation of Italy held together by the Ostrogoths, instead of ceding their new lands to the Eastern Romans, seized the opportunity to take over the peninsula for themselves. Though areas of Roman rule did survive, for the most part, the Lombards ruled Italy for several centuries, under a series of disparate dynasties and kingdoms. These rose and fell over the years, never quite achieving the unity enjoyed by their Frankish neighbours to the north, or the Visigoths of Spain. Yet, the centuries did change the Lombards, who gradually adopted the language of the Romans and inherited many of their institutions and surviving infrastructure. By the late 8th century, however, all this was to change. With the northern Lombard kingdom being conquered entirely by the great King Charlemagne and added to his ever-growing empire, from then on, the south remained divided between independent Lombard statelets and Eastern Roman imperial holdings along the coasts, areas which had never been conquered. By the turn of the millennium, the once powerful Principality of Benevento had fallen on hard times, splintering into three independent states. It was likely Milus's ambition to restore what he saw as the glory days of his ancestors, to force out the enemies he likely saw as foreign oppressors. Unfortunately for the Lombards, however, by the early 11th century, the soldier emperor Basil II, the Bulgar Slayer, had been on the imperial throne for over three decades, and he just so happened to be one of the greatest Byzantine rulers of all time. The early 11th century was a period of revival for the empire. Since the mid-10th century, a series of strong and militaristic generals had come to power to oversee the greatest territorial expansion 
since the time of Justinian. Now that the fragmenting Abbasid Caliphate was no longer a threat, and the new Shia Islamic power of the Fatimids were themselves allied to Byzantium for the time being, the empire had little to fear. Basil spent close to three decades completely subjugating the primary threat to his power, Bulgaria, thus ending the first Bulgarian Empire, a mainstay in Eastern Europe for over 300 years. And now his sights were firmly set upon the upstart Lombard nobleman seeking to undermine the authority of his office. In 1011, Basil sent his subordinate, the Catapan of Italy, Basil Mesodonates, along with a vast imperial army, to put down the rebels. These were men blooded from three decades of brutal conflict, career soldiers, and they made light work of the Lombard rebels. On the 11th of June, 1011, not long after the imperial fleet arrived on the Apulian coastline, Bari fell, and the rebellion fell apart soon afterwards. Malus managed to escape, fleeing to the protection of Prince Guillemar III of Salerno, a Lombard lord with ties to the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire to the north. Basil couldn't afford to anger the Germans whilst the new gains of the empire were being consolidated. But he did manage to capture Malus's wife and children and took them to Constantinople as prisoners. Malus would never see them again, though his son, Argyrus, would still have a part to play. Melus, along with a handful of followers, probably including his brother-in-law, Datus, continued their struggle against the Byzantines. Attempting to rouse up underlying Lombard resentments throughout Italy into action. According to the later chronicler William of Apulia, it was in 1016 that Melus came across a band of northern pilgrims at the famous shrine of Saint Michael at the imposing holy mountain of Monte Gargano. In return for payment, Melus persuaded some of these men to join his cause and others carried word of the offer back to their homeland. These men were Normans, and little did Melus know, but this act would inadvertently seal the fate of the Lombard question once and for all, ensuring that not only would a unified Lombard state never exist again, but also the already independent Lombard principalities would be stamped out of existence too and it wouldn't be either of the two empires that would land the killing blow. By 1017, now bolstered by contingents of Norman adventurers and mercenaries led by the Drengo brothers, an ambitious band of petty lords recently exiled from their homeland. Along with ambitious Lombard soldiers, Melus launched a new rebellion. He quickly marched on Apulia and at first successfully took the Byzantines by surprise, 
claiming large swathes of land and rousing up yet more popular support for the cause. By 1018, however, at the Second Battle of Cannae, fought at the same location as the famous Roman defeat by Hannibal some 1200 years earlier, the rebel army was wiped out almost to a man. Milus managed to flee the field, as did one of the Norman lieutenants, Reynolf Drengo. The others, including most of his brothers, weren't so lucky, being wiped out. Milus again fled north, this time to seek refuge with the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry II, leaving his newfound Norman allies to their own devices. Drengo, with just the handful of men he had left, fled to the mountainous Campania region, where eventually he managed to seize a minor regional stronghold from some vying local nobles, and began seeking a new patron, whilst all the while terrorising the local peasantry into providing him and his men with food and supplies. From this point onwards, bands of opportunistic Normans would increasingly integrate themselves into the political structure of the south of Italy, and in time, subvert the entire Lombard independence movement to a Norman-led one. In 1020, two years after the Battle of Cannae, while at the court of the Emperor, Milus died a broken man. Just as his brother-in-law Datus was captured by the new Byzantine catapan of Italy, Basil Boyanis, and his new ally, later known as the Wolf of the Mezzogiorno, Pandolf IV, Prince of Capua, at the time ruling in conjunction with his cousin, though before long becoming a powerhouse in his own right, a master of the shifting alliances and Machiavellian politicking of southern Italy at this time. Over the course of his career, Pandolf would be Prince of Capua on no less than three separate occasions. For a man like Pandolf, any silly notions of a unified Lombard state meant little. He was an ambitious realist, and the Byzantines were obviously the most powerful force in the region. Ever the shrewd ruler, his going over to them coincided with all of the other Lombard princes switching their loyalties from the Holy Roman Empire to the Byzantines too. There was also another group that benefited from Pandulf's politicking, a group ever in need of well-paying patrons and happy to serve any of the different sides involved, the Normans. On the 15th of June, 1020, on Pandulf and Basil's orders, Datus, the last hope of the Lombard independence movement, was tied up in a sack on the Italian coastline. Along with him was thrown a monkey, a rooster and a snake. The sack was then tossed into the sea. An excessively harsh execution and throwback to ancient Roman traditions. Datus' grisly execution prompted an immediate response from the Holy Roman Empire to the north. Ever looking for an excuse to involve itself in the Mesogiano, 
and a huge army soon marched south to fight the Byzantines, now supported by Norman mercenaries, ever making themselves indispensable to both sides of any potential conflict. A German detachment under Pilgrim, the Archbishop of Cologne, marched down the Tyrrhenian coastline and besieged the city of Capua. Hesitant to fight the Germans, who were equally unwilling to do the same, Pandulf was instead seized as a scapegoat and taken before the Emperor Henry II. Pandulf was very nearly executed before being saved at the last minute by Pilgrim, and instead thrown into a dungeon, before being released two years later after Henry's death and the instalment of a new German leader which prompted a new strategy of reconciliation. Nearly two decades passed before Milus's son Argyrus was finally released from his captivity in Constantinople. Much had changed in Italy since he had been carried off from his homeland as a boy. Resentment towards the Byzantines was still strong amongst their Lombard subjects, as well as the independent Lombard states, now supported by increasingly powerful bands of militaristic Normans, who had made it their business to be integral to the various power struggles playing out. Unfortunately, for any independent-minded Lombards of southern Italy, each one of their leaders had their own ambitions and aims, which led them to rarely band together for a common cause, more often than not fighting amongst themselves. Just to add further to the confusing mesh of magnates in the Messia Giorno, Argyrus had spent much of his life in Constantinople, not in a prison cell but as a wealthy imperial citizen. For all intents and purposes, he was now a Roman. Rather than returning back to Italy as his father's son, he returned as a Byzantine general, along with a vast army comprising of Greeks, Varangian guardsmen under the Norwegian prince Harald Hardrada, fierce Rus mariners from the riverlands of Eastern Europe, Lombards pressed into service, and of course, Normans, all under the overall command of the famed general George Maniakes, the greatest Byzantine commander of his generation. The destination of this multinational invasion force was the island of Sicily, home to an Islamic emirate for close to two centuries. The overall aim of the campaign was to dislodge the Muslim leadership entirely and re-establish imperial control once and for all. Maniakes was the closest thing to a celebrity that early 11th century Byzantium had. During a time of relative inactivity, following the overwhelming success of Basil the Bulgarslayer, Maniakes was a dashing giant of a man who led from the front, fighting in the vanguard alongside his men. He'd made a name for himself in the early 1030s during an unsuccessful imperial attack on Aleppo. Despite the defeat of the main army, Maniakes 
had led a splinter attack, largely on his own volition, successfully capturing the town of Edessa from the Arabs, and earning himself an immediate promotion in the process. Since that time, his stature had only grown, and now he was ready for his most ambitious project yet. The famed soldier emperor Nicephorus Phocas had undertaken a similar conquest of Crete just less than a century earlier, which had springbolted him to the imperial throne. And there were many in the empire who saw Maniaches as attempting to do the same. The new reigning family in the capital, the Paphlagonians, were hardly legitimate themselves, simply being the most crafty of the bunch in playing the political game following Basil's death and the decline of the Macedonian dynasty. Yet nonetheless, despite high hopes and some initial successes, the differences between the vast coalition were simply too much to bear, and before long, the various leaders of the campaign turned on each other. The story recorded by Byzantine sources goes that Maniaches, a brilliant yet hot-headed tactician, had asked his admiral Stephen to halt the retreat of a force of Arabs after he defeated them in a surprise battle, and thus win a decisive victory. When Stephen failed to do so, unwittingly allowing the Arabs to escape to their ships, Maniaches, on the back of his mighty warhorse, rode up to the unfortunate man, berated him with insults, before publicly whipping him for his incompetence for all to see. In doing this, Maniaches had made a grave error, for Stephen was married to the Emperor's sister, and was thus an inner member of the Paphlagonian clan, who now held sway in the capital. Similar stories abounded of Maniaches humiliating Arduin, the leader of the Lombard detachment, which had been sent by Prince Guiamar IV of Salerno. According to the Norman chronicler Amatus of Monte Cassino, when Arduin refused to surrender a captured horse to the Byzantine general, Maniaches had him stripped and beaten. This was an act which apparently caused Arduin and his Norman allies to finally desert the Byzantines once and for all. Though this could easily be an excuse for a rebellion that was already in the works. Thus, despite winning all of the engagements he fought in, Maniaches was soon recalled by the Emperor Michael IV to answer for his crimes. Ultimately, whether he had been planning to in the first place or not, Maniaches would launch an ultimately unsuccessful attempt on the Imperial throne, dying in battle as he fought on the front line with his men. Although the Arabs soon took the island of Sicily back, Maniaches' successes there ultimately inspired the Normans to invade for themselves just a few decades later. In the interim period, and with the backdrop of Maniaches' attempt on the imperial throne, a full-scale Lombard revolt again broke out, once more supported by even more contingents of Normans. In particular, the current eldest Hauteville brother active in the region. Like the Drengos before them, 
and no doubt other families, the Hautevilles, a brood of relatively obscure landless knights, had uprooted themselves from Normandy to start new lives in the south. By 1041, their leader was the eldest surviving brother, William Ironarm, named for his supposedly defeating the Emir of Syracuse in single combat during the Imperial Campaign in Sicily. The Lombard rebels, led in battle by Iron Arm, won several victories, most notably at Olivento and Monte Maggiore, the first time Normans had faced Byzantines since Cannae in 1018, with a decisively different result. In September 1041, the rebels even defeated the new Byzantine catapan Ex Augustus, the son of the great Basil Boyanes, taking him captive to be ransomed back to the empire. Boyanes was taken to Benevento, whose prince was at the time aligned with the rebels, led now by Atanulf, the prince's brother. At about the same time, however, the prince of Salerno, Guillemar IV, allegedly began to draw the Normans under his banner with his own promises. By February 1042, probably feeling abandoned and perhaps bribed by the Byzantines, Atanulf negotiated the ransom of Ex Augustus and then fled with the ransom money to Byzantine territory. It is at this point in the story that a curious event happens. In February 1042, after the original leader of the rebellion, Atanulf, brother of Prince Pandulf III of Benevento, defected to the Byzantines, he was replaced as leader by Argyrus, the son of the famed hero Milus of Bari. Despite having lived most of his life as a Roman, apparently switched his allegiances to become an instant figurehead of the rebellion. In reality, however, by this time, the rebellion seems to have already taken on a distinctly Norman character. By the time Argyrus took command, the Normans were already making the military decisions entirely on their own. Either realising the larger threat to his people, or his greed getting the better of him, the truth depending on which sources you read, before long, it was Argyrus who accepted titles and money from the Byzantines and was accepted back into the imperial fold, thus throwing the rebellion into confusion once more. It has been suggested by some historians that Argyrus had never really been a supporter of the Lombard rebellion, his going over being rather a result of Byzantine intrigue much like the Bulgarian noblemen, Eleusian, during their rebellion in the Balkans, which took place in the same era. Perhaps realising the greater of two evils, Argyrus continued to try and counter the emergence of the Norman menace in Italy, going on to fight them for the Byzantines for the next 16 years, under the title Duke of Italy, Calabria, Sicily and Paphlagonia. Though in reality, the damage was already done. 
Normans now fought on the behalf of almost every leader in the region, and had even been legitimised and given lands by various Lombard nobles seeking to keep their own titles against their neighbours, such as Pandolf IV of Capua, who remained allied to the Normans for much of his life, finally seeing the city of Capua taken over by the Normans after his death. In 1053, an independent Norman force under Richard Drengo, the nephew of the Rainulf that had once fought alongside Melus back in 1018, and a rising star, Robert Hauteville, known as Giscard or the Crafty, the leading Hauteville brother after the death of the other contenders, defeated a coalition of almost every other group in southern Italy at the Battle of Civitat. Argyrus commanded the Byzantine detachment during that battle, but he seems to have missed the actual combat. In the aftermath of Civitat, it became overwhelmingly clear that the Normans were now the paramount power in southern Italy. Rather than an independent Lombard kingdom in the south, a Norman one had been born. This video is brought to you by Squarespace. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build an online presence and follow your dreams. Whether it's podcasting, creative writing, photography, or an online shop, whatever it is that you do creatively in your life, you can make it more connected and visible to the world with Squarespace one of the best website designers in the world. They offer great features such as integrated analytics so you know all of the important stats for your project, email campaigns and mailing lists to keep your fans or customers up to date with what you're doing, seamless integration with other social media and blogging platforms, podcast support for helping you get started on the radio, and access to a high-quality library of Getty Images. If any of this sounds like something that you might be interested in, then there's a whole load more over on their website. Head over to squarespace.com for a free trial now. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com forward slash history time or simply use the offer code history time to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.